Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. We often think about leadership um, here at church uh, during ordination times, when an ordination is in view. Um, at Living Hope Congregation, just a week ago, uh, Jay Yoder was commissioned as a leader in the church there. And as we think of leadership, leadership in the church, and leadership in life in general, we often look at the Bible for principles about leadership, leadership qualities that a person is to have. We look at it in two ways, right? We, there is teaching about biblical leadership in places like First Timothy and Titus, that's one way, or we can also look at examples of godly leaders in the Bible and draw lessons from their lives, their experience, their leadership. As we think of that, of examples in the Bible who were good leaders, of who do you think of? Who, were, who are some uh, leaders, outstanding leaders, uh, that led God's people in Bible times? David. Uh, David? Joshua? Joshua? Did I hear Moses? Mm-hmm. David, Joshua, Moses. Uh, Jesus? I uh, thought maybe that should have been mentioned first. Uh, certainly, Jesus is a, a leader, outstanding leader, on a level and in a league all by himself. Thank God for Jesus. Any more that you're thinking of? Nobody mentioned, except for Jesus, any New Testament ones yet. I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul, and I'm thinking about Moses, Old Testament, and I'm especially thinking about person who said that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you now know that I'm thinking of the man Nehemiah. So if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, well, we'd like to just be looking at that book, looking at that man as we think about leadership qualities. And hopefully we will notice together as we go that leadership qualities are not that awfully much different from Christian life qualities. We all are called to Christian qualities, uh, whether we're leaders or not, and really, most everybody, almost everybody, at some point in life, is a leader. And, you know, we think about... Of, presidents and governors, and then when we come down to our level, then we think about pastors, and we think about parents, don't we? Moms and dads are, have such outstanding uh, leadership possibilities and need leadership skills. We think about school teachers, 
We think about bosses at work and supervisors and that kind of thing. But when it really comes down to it, all of us at some time are called to lead others. I just uh, noticed an excellent example of that this last week. Uh, there was a 15-year-old and four, I think, of his siblings that were asked by her, his, their mom to go to the store. They uh, were at a, at a house, and not far down on the opposite side of the road was a store. The mom needed something, and she sent the 15-year-old, the other four tagged along, and it was interesting to note that they needed to cross the street, which was less busy than like Route 340, of course, and there was not much of a shoulder like 340 has, um, but the 15-year-old did a good job of leading his younger sisters and brothers, his younger siblings. Um, they, yeah, they together crossed the street and everybody was careful, the leader was careful, the people that were following were careful, uh, they were careful as they went off to the side of the road and traipsed down through, yep, leadership. So, if you have younger brothers or sisters, you have, have opportunities for leadership from time to time, maybe pretty much every day. Um, if you haven't yet assumed a position of leadership, hardly ever, if you live much longer, I think the Lord will see to it that, that you really do. Leadership principles, leadership qualities that God is calling for, asking his children for, uh, are really not that much different than Christian life experiences. Leadership is for everybody. Thinking now in particular again about the book of Nehemiah, I remember reading or hearing it said years ago that there are more leadership principles found in the book of Nehemiah than in, than in any ten books of modern books on the same subject. The book of Nehemiah. And so I have picked out ten that I notice in the book of Nehemiah yeah, just 10, you know. Um, you could see and notice others. But let's look at the 10. And I'll, let me tell you just right now that I think, I think that the first one that we know, want to notice together is maybe the one that I will talk about about the longest. But number 9 and number 10, I think, maybe are the key ones. So you think about that as we go along. And... And if you would be thinking, too, that, and remembering, again, that these leadership principles are not much different than what God is calling us as his children each day of our lives. So I'm looking, the very first one, the one that maybe we'll talk about for a little while, is found in, in verse 2 of chapter 1. Do you see it there? And I'm especially... Looking at three words there, one phrase, the words, I asked them, I asked them. Why do I say that? Uh, what, what kind of a leadership quality is that? Well, a leader is one who 
cares about his people and loves the people that he's leading. And one wonderfully good way of doing that is to ask questions and to notice and to ask. Uh, the Bible says that Nehemiah asked these two brothers that just had come from afar. I asked them. Nehemiah showed his care and his love and his concern for others by simply asking a question. A, ne a leader, a Christian, is called to care for others. I asked them. I asked them. And notice that when he asked that question, and the ans an answer was given, that in verse 4, he responded with other evidences of a caring heart. Do you see that there? I, I'm looking at the words he said, I wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. Other evidences. But especially we're thinking about uh, verse 2, asking, asking, caring by asking. Now, if I was a visitor at your church and you didn't invite Wanda and I home for, for lunch, and you would ask me, as we're sitting there talking, uh, conversing, visiting, if you would ask me about my grandchildren, I could say a few things about them. Um, probably I wouldn't say too much right away, because I might be testing you to see if you really care. Now, I don't think many of you are that way, but I would confess that I am. Um, but if, if I would not say too much, and then you would start in on your grandchildren and how many you have and how wonderful they are and the, one, and the interesting things that they do and how they, you love them and how that you babysit for them. And you would just go on and on and on. I would tend to think, I might be wrong in this, but I would tend to think that you're not the most caring individual of all. If, on the other hand, I would say a little something, you would ask, I would say a little something about my grandchildren, and then you would follow up with other questions, and then another one or two. Soon I would be talking about my grandchildren quite a bit, and I would tend to think, and I think I'd be right in this, that you are a caring individual. It's interesting to notice how some people, uh, some people uh, are interested in uh, in talking about what they ha interesting things that they've observed, or interesting tidbits about other people, or interesting, yeah, just interesting. And those kind of people make good conversationalists, and they might even have kind of charismatic uh, personalities. But that doesn't mean that they are caring people. I just remember back in 1994, uh, when our daughter Kathy was born, one of my brothers kind of surprised me, and in the first days and weeks, probably months after she was born, after Kathy was born, he different times asked, how's Kathy doing? And another of my brothers 
didn't do that. But if I, I noticed a couple different times at church when I was after church, I might have had Kathy in my arms and my brother would look at her and say, um, Kathy, how are you? Now you understand that she was way too young to respond and she was way too low on the intellect to respond. But, well, yeah, one of my brothers said, how's Kathy? One of my brothers said, Kathy, how are you? And, you know, that's almost 30 years ago now, but there's still uh, warm little things happen in my heart when I think about that. I asked them, Nehemiah said, a, a leader, a Christian leader, is one who cares and shows concern, oftentimes by asking I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. You know, the Jewish people then, in Bible times, and Jewish people now, love the city of Jerusalem. There's something special in God's eyes about Jerusalem, and there's certainly something special about Jewish people's eyes about the city of Jerusalem. Remember that the Bible says things like beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Uh, another place it will say, the Lord loveth the gates of Jerusalem more than all the dwellings of Jacob. And we could look at other verses that indicate uh, how Ju uh, the city of Jerusalem is special. And do you remember how in 1948, just before the nation of Israel became, before Israel again became a modern nation among the nations of the world, um, that their enemies had closed the road from Tel Aviv at the coast up to the city of Jerusalem. There was only one major road coming up through there, and the Arab uh, enemies of Israel closed that. Uh, a couple times... There were convoys, uh, food convoys and supply convoys from Tel Aviv that broke through and came through. And one of those, well, I should just say, too, that in response to that road being closed, the Jewish people remembered about another goat path type thing that had been, uh, yeah, some bypass that that was barely, barely, barely passable by, with motors, with motorized trucks. But they decided that they're going to redo that a little bit and go around that way out of reach of the Arab guns. And they got to Jerusalem that way a few times. One time when the convoy came through, uh, people noticed that on, on the front truck there was uh, chalked, uh, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem. And that was certainly a, uh, certainly a reference to the verse, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. The Jewish people love Jerusalem. But I noticed that when Nehemiah asked that question that day, Nehemiah 1 verse 2, that he didn't ask about Jerusalem first, but notice what he did ask. I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, number one, and number two about the city of Jerusalem. The people are always more important than the project, right? 
And Nehemiah is a beautiful and excellent and wonderful example of that. He asked first, he was most concerned about the people and then about the city. I asked them. Well, I think maybe that's good for that one. Let's go to the number two leadership principle that I noticed, uh, that I picked out, and that I'd like to talk about just a little bit, and that's in chapter 2, verses 5, 7, and 8, especially, I'm thinking of. And I pick out the very first word in verse 5, the word and. And I notice the very first word in verse 7, moreover. And the very first word in verse 8, and... And then there's two other words also in verse 8. One is the word and, and the other is the word and. Okay, there's a number of ands, and there's a moreover there. Chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse 1 tells us that this, this happened, this day was in the month Nisan, and that takes us back to 1 1, which tells us that it was the month Kislu. And there are four months difference there. So from the month Kislu to the month Nisan, uh, obvious, obviously, apparently, Nehemiah was thinking about this issue. And I think he was probably crying about it sometimes. And he was praying about it. And there was something else that he was doing, I'm quite sure, and that was, was that he was preparing and planning. And the one reason that I think that is because of these words, and, and, moreover, and, and, and. A characteristic, a necessary quality of a leader is that he uh, plans and prepares and uses foresight and is proactive in his thoughts and in his actions. So do you understand and see that the king here asked, what, what's wrong with you today? And which was a loaded question, so much, uh, so, much so that last sentence in chapter 2 says that Nehemiah was very scared because the king... Nehemiah was going to ask the king if he couldn't go. He wanted to show his care for the, for the people and the city by volunteering to lead the rebuilding effort. And he said, he, And I said unto the king, verse 5, Moreover I said unto the king, verse 7, And I, he asked for a letter unto Asaph, and... He was thinking about the walls of the city and for the houses that he was, go was going to need to live in. Do you see that? Do you understand? Nehemiah had thought things through and was very orderly and proactive. Foresight, proactive, preparation. Um, now, Wanda and my family my children could tell you that that is far from my strong point. Um, but I think one of the things that really impressed me or that, yeah, that I need 
that the Lord is showing me that I need to improve on is that very thing. Not, not haphazard, not oh, just any old way, but a set, being prepared and ready. Preparation and planning is so important of, for leaders and for Christians in general. I'm ready to go to the third one, the third leadership principle, and still in, verse, still in chapter 2, I'm looking now at verses 17 and 18. In chapter 2, if I counted correctly, Nehemiah, in his autobiography, because I think that's what the book of Nehemiah is, mentions I, my, or me, maybe 38 or 39 times in the first 17 verses. Something like that. You can correct, you can, you might want to check that out. I, me, my. Then he, in verse 17, the tone changes, and he has gathered the people together. Then said I unto them, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let it, us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Isn't that something? He appealed to the people. He realized Nehemiah was a very able and active person. That is obvious in his autobiography. He uh, had was a very talented and able and skilled person, but he realized, and he knew full well, that he can't do it alone. He needs the people. The whole group needs to work on this together. And he developed here the we spirit of doing it together. Let it, and guess what the people said? They said, verse 18, they said, let us, ri let us rise up and build. And that sentence proved that Nehemiah was a leader, right? Uh, Peter, Peter Drucker, a modern uh, management and leadership expert, has coined the word followership. And he says that leadership, basically, he says that leadership is the ability to inspire followership. Right? We get that, right? Leadership is the ability to inspire followership. Nehemiah... Uh, got down onto the people's level, and he inspired them to work together as a we, as a us, as a team. I'm, let's move on to chapter 4. The fourth one that I have in mind is found in, the words are found in verse 5. Verse 6, and I'm especially noticing the phrase, so built we, verse 6. And then going to verse 9, we set a watch. So built we, and we set a watch. And notice again, those we's, it's a team effort. What was happening here is that the wall was being built, thanks to Nehemiah's good and able leadership 
and able to inspire people to work with a will, work together. Just look at chapter 3, which we completely skipped. But then all of a sudden, can you imagine? There's opposition. And that opposition kind of laughed and scoffed and scorned. Look at the first three verses of chapter 4. And in response to that, Nehemiah says, so built we. They just kept going anyway in spite of opposition. And interestingly, with that good response, here is Sanballat and his friends, the three of them, three enemies, you know, just like we also have three enemies today, us Christians do. So he responded well and rightly by just keeping on going. So built we. And instead of the problem getting better, it got worse. And so he says in verse 9, we set a watch. In other words, they just kept going some more. Kept going and kept going. We here today together... Um, knowing and loving that the Bible calls for non-resistance, we deplore bloodshed and wars and those kind of conflicts among men. But at the same time, we also notice, are able to notice how that worldly warfare is and our Christian warfare that we've been called to has many parallels. Many wonderful and interesting parallels. And in light of that, and in light of point number four, how they just kept going. They didn't give up. There was no giving up, but tenacity and uh, not giving up at all. I think of a man you may have heard of. His name is Winston Churchill. Back in the 1940s, just as World War II was beginning, Winston Churchill saw that it was coming and couldn't hardly understand how um, the prime minister uh, just kept appeasing the Mr. Hitler. And finally, uh, the Germans' armies, with their blitzkrieg uh, tactics, took over a lot of Europe, just in short order, and especially France. And at that time... Um, the Prime Minister of Britain resigned. I forget his name right now. And Winston Churchill became Prime Minister at a very critical time in the war, at a very critical time in Britain's history because it looked like the uh, German war machine was going to just take over Britain just as easily as they had taken over all the other small countries, the low countries, and the big country like France. And at that point... Winston Churchill had just become prime minister, and he probably, during World War II, never handled a rifle and never participated in any battles. But he, it's not too hard to say that he probably, with his words in front of a microphone, won the, uh, made a difference in the outcome of the war just by things that he said along these lines. And he, Here's some things that he said. 
at the very, one of the very darkest times, he gave this speech. And in the speech, here's part of what he said. And as I read this, think about Nehemiah and how he wouldn't give up in spite of opposition, but especially think about us and our Christian warfare and think about ourselves and how that the Lord is calling us to just keep on going. Uh, Ephesians 6 would say, stand, and having done all to stand. God has arranged that in the midst of this warfare that we can stand. Thank God for that. Okay, here's what Winston Churchill said. We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight on the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Oh, that God's people, God's leaders and God's people would have that same mentality that we never surrender, we never give up to our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, when asked what his objective was, he said, Winston Churchill said, and we say the same, our objective can be stated in one word, it's victory. Thank God for victory and that we're not even fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory ground. Number five, number five, verse 13, still in chapter four. The word therefore, the very first word in Nehemiah 4.13. Therefore said I in the lower places, and, and it goes on. So in spite of them not giving up, in spite of them keeping on fighting and building and not letting anything get in their way, no opposition, no enemies, things got worse even yet. Verse 11 and 12, no, verses 10, 11, and 12 said, now the, now the problem is within the gates, inside the church, inside the community. Not outside anymore, but inside. People are giving up. Do you see that in verses 10, 11, and 12? We can't do it. That's their cry. We can't do it. Then, in response to that, therefore, in response to that, verse 13 and the rest of the chapter, Nehemiah adjusted his plans and his thoughts. And he tweaked things a little bit, and he flexed, and he made improvements here, and he made improvements there. Um, you can see that quite a lot. I think oh, it's often said that there's five different things that he adjusted and improved in response to the people saying we can't do it. So remember uh, principle number two that we spoke about was being proactive and prepared. Nehemiah had certainly done that. He had done his part. He had done his share. He had done everything in preparation that he possibly could, but it wasn't working. And so he now, number five, he was able to adjust things. A good leader, a good Christian will not be afraid to say, I was wrong. I messed up. Um, let's see if we can't do it. This way. Couldn't this way be a little better and, and we'll get our objective done? We're not talking about um, 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 sacrificing Christian principles or Bible truth, not at all, but uh, the tactics. Um, we don't, uh, leaders don't think that since they have done their homework and have done things and prepared and planned perfectly, 
when things don't work out exactly that way, they don't say, oh, we have to follow the script. No, they're able to adjust. And yes, number five. Let's go on quickly to number six. And I see that in chapter five, verse six. The word there, the phrase there, I rebuked. Nehemiah, being a leader, needed to... So there was enemies outside the gate, but now there's opposition and problems inside, and so he rebukes them. And we don't, won't talk about this, but it uh, would be interesting to note the difference between how Nehemiah handled the enemies outside and the problems inside. He rebuked the nobles. He wasn't afraid to say, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Uh, you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the, sp in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And his rebuking, even though he was very angry, verse 6, was redemptive. Look at verse 8. When he rebuked these nobles, they did three things. Number one, in verse 8, then held they their peace and found nothing to answer. And I think that's a credit to the, these nobles that were on the wrong, wrong track. When they, were re, when they were rebuked, they didn't defend themselves. They just kept quiet and listened. Verse 12, something else that they did is they said, we will restore... We'll do what you said. And number three, verse 13, last, verse, last sentence, and the people did according to this promise. Um, it's easy to want to avoid conflict, but a leader will redemptively rebuke. Emphasis on those two R words, right? Redemptively rebuke. Number seven. And this is in chapter six. Verse 15 and verse 16 are a great, big triumph, are they not? Yeah. Tremendous work of the Lord. And also a tremendous exhibit of good, godly Leadership. It couldn't have happened without God, certainly not, and it could have hardly happened without good, godly leadership and followership. And it just seems to us, doesn't it, as if the book should end there. That's how books normally do, right? When you, there's conflict, and then there's progress, and then finally, uh, and then the book ends. But even the chapter doesn't end, let alone the book. And verse 17, moreover, verse 18, 4, verse 19 also, and there's just a lot of um, commotion there and things happening behind the scenes and the enemies haven't given up. Well, I think that's just a lesson to us that the battle is never over. A leader understands, a leader in the home, a leader in the church, a leader in the school understands that there will always be issues. When there's victory over this one, 
another one will crop up. Um, there is no glide gear on our pathway to heaven, but we need to keep working. Even after the greatest big victory, uh, Nehemiah shows us that very well uh, there in chapter 6. We go on to That was number seven. We go on to number eight. Found in chapter seven, verse two, and verse three. Verse two, uh, the words that I'm looking at are the verb gave and the word charge. I gave my brother charge over Jerusalem. So what? Nehemiah here is, is doing here is delegating and giving authority to others, to underlings. And uh, this, a reoccurring theme today in this sermon is that we need everyone. Uh, Nehemiah couldn't do it alone. He couldn't do it without the help of everyone. Look back at chapter 3. And also now he is delegating authority to others. Isn't that neat? And chapter th then in verse 3, he goes on to say that what they were supposed to do is this and this and this. Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened, and let them shut the doors and, and bar them, and so on. So he is giving authority in, in, chap in verse 2, and he's giving re responsibility in verse 3. And a good leader in his delegation will understand and know that one always needs to, with responsibility, needs to give authority. That was the case uh, this last week when the 15-year-old and his younger siblings went to the store. It was clear that his mom had given Javon the responsibility and the, the responsibility to go to the store and get what is needed keep her, the siblings safe and return home again. That was his responsibility. But she had also given him authority so that the others understood that what Javon says, that's what goes. And beautifully, that's what happened. There was no crosswords, uh, no, no, no striving for the mastery or anything like that. Authority and responsibility. It's very frustrating when uh, someone is given responsibility, but not a matching amount of authority with that. That brings us to number nine. Remember, I said that I think number nine and number 10 are the keys and the most important. So let's talk about chapter eight. And in this chapter, there is a revival taking place. Interesting that the walls had been built. The project had been accomplished. It was done. Um, they had worked together. They hadn't given up. And now it's done. And on top of that, something even better than that happens. There is a spiritual revival taking place. And in chapter 8, Ezra the scribe, who hadn't been mentioned before at all in the book, is mentioned seven times. 
And if I counted correctly, the Levites, kind of spiritual leaders, religious leaders, are mentioned four times. And the hero of the book, Nehemiah, is mentioned one time. So what is happening here, I think, is that Nehemiah, with all his skill and with all his ability, realizes that there are times and places where other people can do it better. And Ezra is the man for the job, and so I'm going to empower Ezra to take care of the needs of the people here, the spiritual needs, because he can do it so much better than I. And I will get the Levites to help, because they also, that's their thing, that's their job. They, they can do it so much better than I. And then there's a bunch of other men mentioned in verse 4, and again in verse 7. Do you see that? And I would, I'm pretty sure, I'm really quite sure that I'm correct when I say that Nehemiah would never have done this. Nehemiah could never have done this except and unless he had a tremendously good dose of something called humility. And I noticed, Travis, that you mentioned that word a couple times in your devotions. Thank you for that devotional about giving God the glory. Humility. Nehemiah exhibited that so beautifully, I think, in chapter 9. Now, number 10, the 10th principle, leadership principle that I noticed and that we'd like to talk about just a little bit here is that... Something else that was going on in the book of Nehemiah from beginning to end that I had skipped over kind of intentionally because I wanted to let that until the very end and hopefully be able to make a good point here. And that is, I'm back at chapter 1 now in verse 4. Nehemiah prayed and Verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah give us what he prayed and how he prayed. The, whole, the prayer is there. In chapter 2, verse 4, last sentence, he prayed. And that was just a quick telegraph prayer. In 4.4, 4, he prayed. In 4.9, he prayed. In 5.19, Nehemiah prayed. And in some of these, uh, his prayers are given. In 6.14, he prayed. In 13.14, he prayed. In 13.29, uh, his prayer is given. In 13.31, he prayed and his prayer is given. And some of these prayers aren't really uh, New Testament type prayers. But the point is that Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah realized that he can't do it himself. It's not in him. And so, number one, so he was humble enough to enlist other people's help, chapter 8. And he also realized that he, it's not in him to do it. And so he prayed to the God of heaven for his help and his sustenance and his ability. As I think about all that, especially number 9 and 10, uh, I'm, I'm, 
well, that's just what I need. I need to, remember the disciples came to Jesus one time and said, Lord, teach us to pray. If I would have had that chance, I might not have said that, uh, but I today say, Lord, teach me to pray. And Lord, teach me to be humble. I noticed in uh, the second song that we sang today, um, Sam, you led, I love to steal a while away. And the first verse says, I love to steal, and I heard you singing this today, I love to steal a while away from every cumbering care and spend the hours of setting sun, of setting day in humble, grateful prayer. In humble, grateful prayer. In closing, I would just like to read the stanzas of a song that I thought about. It's not number 165 in our songbooks. Um, think about God's leadership, Christ Jesus' leadership, Nehemiah's leadership, and our leadership. In shady green pastures so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. And some through great sorrow, but God gives the song in the night season and all the day long. Will you kneel with me for prayer? <clears throat>